This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr. Gillian Kays and Jeremy Fisher. This is A Voice. Hello and welcome to This is A Voice, Season 6, Episode 16. The podcast where we get vocal about voice. I'm Jeremy Fisher. And I'm Dr. Gillian Kays. And welcome back to our Best Bits. This is Best Bits Part 2, and we've got some really beautiful things wrapped up for you in beautiful little parcels ready for Christmas at the end of this week. Now, this was a very interesting one, and it came about as a result of the work that we had started doing with our singing teacher accreditation. And so many people talking about feeling that they were imposters that we thought we've got to get out there and bust this idea of imposter syndrome, unpack it, find out what it really is and why we don't necessarily need to feel like that. And my memory is that this episode came from the article that I wrote about imposter syndrome. So it did, and actually was very popular and much talked about. So if you've got a little bit of imposter still lurking in your life, this is the one for you. Hello and welcome to This Is A Voice podcast, oh, series three, episode one, with Jeremy Fisher... And Dr. Gillian Case. And the topic today is imposter syndrome. Uh, I wrote an article a few weeks ago on seven strategies to deal with imposter syndrome. And Gillian, you looked up the meaning of the word imposter. What did you find? Mm, Yes, I went on to Google and this is the Cambridge Online Dictionary. Imposter, a person who pretends to be someone else in order to deceive others. Now, what's interesting about this is that they give an example of using the word within a sentence. And here's what they say. He felt like an imposter among all those intelligent people, as if he had no right to be there. But that's weird. That's not actually the meaning of imposter. Mm -hmm. The meaning of imposter, if you like, it's also the difference between an active and a passive. So an active imposter is somebody who knows perfectly well that they are deceiving people. Yes. Um, let's have a look at some of the related words and phrases. Faking and pretending. Yep. Um, an idiom, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yep. Air guitar apparently <laughs> appears here. Faker, false, mountebank. I love a mountebank. Isn't that interesting? But I mean, it isn't. In, in a way, we, we get that the meaning is intending to deceive, but imposter syndrome is not that. It's something that's very different. And one of the reasons why you wrote the blog in the first place mm. is because we work with a lot of teachers nowadays, um, training teachers on professional development. And what we found is that they often, within the community setting, when we're all chatting, they talk about feeling like an imposter. It's one of the things that comes up the most in the courses for people when they come on the course in the first place and we ask them why they're there. And and, uh, imposter syndrome seems to be a really big thing Mm. in the singing community, the teaching community, the voice community in general. So um, what we thought we'd do is we'd take the article that I wrote and expand on it a bit. And in fact, we have seven imposter busters that you can do, actions that you can take. Do you know what I liked about this article? Because what I'd quite like to do is interview you about it and and we'd kind of riff around it. Yep. You talk about the fundamental issue for people who have imposter syndrome, Mm. is that they're not able to internalise their own success. Mm. They think it's something to do with luck um, and nothing to do with their abilities. Mm. And I think that is such a great point. And it's something that we come across all the time in our trainings. That people we work with actually don't realise the things that they're good at. Yeah. 
And we'll talk more about that later. Well, there's, there's two things. I mean, one is they don't realise the things they're good at. And the second is they don't accept the things that they're good at. It must be luck. It must be coincidence. It must be somebody else did the work. You know, it's just there's so many things in imposter, imposter syndrome that people just don't realise. So there's two sets of, of bits of information that I put in the in the blog. And I want to talk about both of them. One is the seven imposter busters that you can do. And the second set is uh, this. And um, by the way, I should I should say... Imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon is a real thing. Mm-hmm. It was identified in 1978 by Pauline Rose Clance and Suzanne Imes in their paper, The Imposter Phenomenon in High Achieving Women, Dynamics and Therapeutic Interventions. Um, what they're saying is anyone can get it, but it's usually people who are highly responsible. So ironically, it's the people who are least likely to intentionally defraud who get imposter syndrome. In other words... If you think that you're an imposter, it's likely that you're it's not. It's absolutely certain you won't be because the real imposters never think about that. And don't care. Mm. So um, the other thing is Valerie Young, uh, based working with the information that um, uh, Clance and Imes created, uh, wrote a book called The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women. And she lists five different types of imposter. that, um, And it was really fascinating reading this. I thought this was very interesting and I recognise myself and you in yes, them. Yes, yes. I actually recognise bits of three of them in me. Okay, cool. We, the, the, okay, reveal. We've both had imposter syndrome. Definitely. Really quite strongly. So uh, this really, it really resonated with us. So I'm going to go with the, the five types first. I really like these. Perfectionist sets extremely high expectations for themselves, and even if they meet 99% of the goals, they're going to feel like failures. Any small mistake will make them question their own competence. So accurate. Mm. It's so interesting when you set yourself such a high goal. And again, in a way, this is about responsibility because you want to do a good job. When you set yourself that high a goal, the 1% that you didn't quite hit becomes the most important thing you think about. Mm-hmm. That's the thing That's the thing you focus on. I have to say that that was one of the things that I had performance anxiety about in my years as a performing singer. Mm. The one thing I would focus on was the mistake that I'd made. Mm-hmm. And therefore, the 99% of the really good stuff just didn't occur to you. And if you watch successful performers and their habits, they don't do that. Mm. It's not that they don't care about that one mistake, but they don't do that. No. Do you actually acknowledge and accept what you did well first? And funnily enough, it's one of the things that we teach our teachers, which is when you are diagnosing somebody, when you have a student who walks in the room and you're hearing them for the first time, so often we go to, that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong and that's that's wrong and I need to sort out that because that just doesn't work. And and you don't go, what's working? What's actually already working? What are, what are they already doing that's good? Mm, validate what's working. Yeah. Okay, now let's talk about the expert syndrome. <laughs> the expert feels the need to know every piece of information before they start a project and constantly look for new certifications or trainings to improve their skills. They won't apply for a job if they don't meet all the criteria in the posting and they might be hesitant to ask a question in class or speak up in a meeting at work because they're afraid of looking stupid if they don't already know the answer. 
Yeah, that's an interesting one because I recognise bits of myself in that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I am Mrs. Overprepare. Yeah. I do feel the need to get all the information there before um, I want to go on air, for instance. Um, I've highlighted all sorts of bits in this lovely article, actually. And it's very much before I, I write, I want to gather everything. And then sometimes I'll kind of keep it to myself, which drives the other half mad, I'll by say, the way. Yeah. Uh, because I want to have that sort of control over it. On the other hand, I'm not afraid to ask questions or speak up at meetings. There are no silly questions yep. because that's something that also comes back on feedback from our courses that, you know, a lot of people say, oh, there are no silly questions. But actually, when you open your mouth on course, you get a little bit of a glare or, or, or you, you feel that you're put down yep. or that you're shut down. Yep. And actually, by asking questions, that's how we learn, isn't it? Well, it's not, a, it's not only how we learn, but actually as the teacher, when somebody asks a question of the teacher, it's how the teacher understands where you are and where you're coming from and mm. can actually help more actively. And it, we do say at the very beginning of every course, there are no stupid questions, but there really aren't. And anybody who asks a question shows us what it is that they want to know. And I, I mean, think it's brilliant. I know this is slightly off at a tangent, but one of the things that we've found working by Zoom, so working online with our trainings, mm. is that people feel that little degree of safety in using the comment box to ask their questions. Yep. As somehow it just buffers them a little bit. And it's really interesting what comes up because nearly always when someone asks a question and they might even preface it with, uh, is this a stupid question or I feel a bit silly asking this, mm. they will not be the only person in the room, uh, wanting to ask the question. Absolutely. So therefore, everybody learns from your questions. Absolutely. All right. Now I'm going on to natural genius because, Jeremy, I have identified you as the natural genius syndrome. Yes. Go on, tell us about it. Absolutely right. Okay, I'm going to say what I wrote. When the natural genius has to struggle or work hard to accomplish something, he or she thinks this means they aren't good enough. They're used to skills coming easily, and when they have to put in effort, their brain tells them that's proof they're an imposter. Yeah, okay. I come under the natural genius category because I'm very, very good at concepts. If you give me the concept, I can then understand it, break it down, break it apart, show it back to you, teach you all about it. I'm very good on, on understanding the reason behind something. And the difficulty for me is because that is so easy for me. When I don't understand something, it's like, it's, it's more than stubbing my toe. It's like I've run into a brick wall and I can't cope. Mm. <laughs> Absolutely. Gillian has many, many, many examples of that. October the 8th, 2021. This is probably the episode that got the most listens. This is The Breath. Oh, what a surprise. Yeah, everybody is absolutely obsessed about breathing and singing. And we, I mean, the reason why we called it The Breath was because it's such a sort of iconic thing, isn't it? It's a mythical thing, The Breath, The Breath. And there are so many ideas around different types of breathing. And we just wanted to unpack it, not just thinking about singing, but what breathing is all about and what it means in our lives. And also different breathing patterns for different genres. Mm. And by the way, I love The Breath, like it's this animal that you have to tame and it's not connected with you at all of course it's connected with you mm. have a listen let's talk diaphragm let's talk diaphragm okay so um the diaphragm has a complete mind of its own it doesn't behave in any way that it should and uh, it's a, a it's an animal basically you didn't tell me you were going to say this no because it's all untrue no i've absolutely <laughs> no idea where you're going with it 
Hello and welcome to This Is A Voice. The podcast where we get vocal about voice. And this is episode three, series three, and we're calling it The Breath. Yes, we're doing a whole podcast on breathing. And the reason we're doing it is that we are three months into the latest run of our accreditation programme. And we've been talking about breathing in all its formats. And there have been some amazing questions coming up from the accreditees. And not just the breath itself. In a way, that's why we kind of played with the whole idea, because there's a sort of holy grail, isn't there, where we do it in capital letters. Yep. Um, And all the things that impact on breath flow, they're really important considerations. And those are some of the things we've been talking about, about pressure and flow and other stuff in our accreditation programme. So these are some of the questions that we are hoping to answer today in the podcast. And I hope you have several hours because there's quite a lot of them. Uh, Why do we need breath for singing? Breathing for phrases versus breathing for life energy. Let's talk diaphragm. How do we breathe in abdominal release or rib raising, which is best? How do we control flow? And do we even need to? Why active and passive SOVT might help build the relationship between pressure and flow so it can happen more intuitively. Why the timing of your in-breath is important. MDs, pay attention. I'll buy that. Uh, Why the pitch you're singing might make a difference. And obviously why loudness might make a difference. Um, Why our mantra, one size doesn't fit all, really does fit all of these questions. And as a final token thing, breath as emotion. That's going to be fun. Mm. Okay, should we start? Yes. Okay. I mean, what are we doing? Are we riffing around these subjects or are we doing them in order? What's the plan? Oh, no, we don't. Do we ever do anything in order? No, we riff. Um, I do want to just say that we record this a few days before it goes out. And today is National Teachers Day. So hello to all the teachers. Hurrah for me. Yeah, and me. Yeah. No, you're a vocal coach. I'm still a teacher. Are Vo- you? Vocal oh. coaches are still teachers. Okay, yeah. all right. No, I can still do teaching. Uh, so, first question. Um, to the singing teacher, this will seem very obvious, or the voice trainer. Why do we need breath for singing? I can remember working with um, one of my singers who's a lovely cabaret singer, And, you know, maybe six months into us training together, we were working in a masterclass. And I said, look, you you know, you need more breath, you need more airflow. And she said to me, yeah, but I've still got air in my body. I've still got air in my lungs. Why do I need to take more in? Mm. Boing! Mm -hmm. That was such a realisation for me. Because, in fact, what happened was that sometimes her sound quality was pressed. She'd get through the phrase okay. She could sing the notes, but there was that sense of pressure. And for some reason, I had not explained that what we need if we're going to keep the vocal folds rolling, because the vocal folds only vibrate in response to the breath. Vocal folds are clever. They can close. That It's a muscular action that makes them close. But no vocal fold muscles twitch at, what have we got, you know, uh, even um, 200 times a second. No muscles twitch that fast in the body. So uh, if we're wanting to sing A below middle C, which is around about 220 vibrations per second, it's actually happening in response to the breath. So it's the breath that keeps the vocal folds rolling in vibration. 
So what we needed to do in that particular situation was to encourage her to breathe earlier and to really sort of take a slightly larger breath and to feel that flow generating the sound. And what was so nice about it from what I remember is that it really warmed the sound up. And then there's another corollary to that for lots of people who maybe are teaching beginner singers, which is they think they've got to use up all their breath before they take the next one. Hmm. No, you don't. You can let go, you can go back to your residual air level, and then you can replenish for the next phrase. Oh, there's so many places we can go with this. Mm. Um, I just want to talk about breathing for phrases versus breathing for life energy. And that was my sentence, because this sort of ties in with the story. It does link with the story really nicely. Um, there's a very interesting one, which is, uh, I think there's a bit of a myth, which is sort of what Gillian was saying. You take in a breath, and then you use it for your singing. And if you've got a really, really long phrase, you want to eke it out. You want to just feed a tiny little stream, you know, very fine tune your breathing. And then you wonder why things start to get a little bit shaky, because you've still got breath left in your body, very much as this person was saying. Mm. And part of the issue is that that breath in your body, first of all, you are using it so that it's coming out, and therefore you're not holding it, as it were. We'll talk about that later. But the main thing is that the breath in your body, its main function is to give you life energy. So it's the oxygen exchange. The and breath to in create glucose. And therefore to feed your muscles while they're working. And if you hold your breath back and you're using it very, very slowly, that doesn't prevent the air from exchanging oxygen, carbon dioxide, uh, glucose, all of that stuff. It doesn't prevent it. It still carries on going. So actually you can still have half a lung full of air and yet need to breathe because your oxygen level's too low. Okay, this next one is my personal favourite. I loved this episode. This is October the 10th, 2022. Consonants, ventriloquism, Darcy Lynn and creep. Do you know what? I wasn't completely convinced about this topic. You did a great job in the podcast. And then what happened subsequently was the creep challenge. If you haven't seen the creep challenge, it is so worth doing. You discover so much about your voice. Mm. We're not going to say any more than that. Yeah. Go and have a listen. What are we doing today? Well, we're doing something unusual. There's been a lot of uh, talk on our Singing in the Actor Facebook group about a video of Darcy Lynn singing Radiohead's Creep using ventriloquism. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Darcy Lynn was very, very successful in American talent show as a young teenage ventriloquist. Mm. Extremely good. And she did ventriloquism and singing. So, of course, the conversation has been mind absolutely blown. How is she doing it? And also something very interesting, which is about resonance, which we'll come to later. Yeah. I mean, the reason that we're interested is in 2016, I wrote the chapter of the book, uh, This is a Voice, on ventriloquism and mimicry. And in mm. fact, um, the, the chapter that you're seeing in the book at the moment is in fact only half what I wrote, because I wrote two entirely separate chapters, one on ventriloquism and one on mimicry. And because we wanted the book to be a certain length, uh, we put both of those chapters together and cut them both in half. So there's many more things that I could tell you about ventriloquism, but not today. And this was one of the chapters, uh, those of you who heard one of our earlier podcasts will remember about Jeremy sort of discussing the contract with the uh, Welcome Foundation and coming home and saying, we're doing the lot. And I went, what? Beatboxing? Ventriloquism? 
You're off your head. No, I've been I've been dabbling in ventriloquism since I was about eight. And do you think that's because of the kind of material that you've often sung? Because you've sung a lot of patter songs, and you really think about how you form words. Um, it was, just, it was. I think it was the other way around. It was mm. because I got to be moderately good at ventriloquism. Moderately good. Um, it really helps patter song singing. It really helps strings of words and really fast lyrics where you have to get the sense across. Because in a way, the more you move your articulators, the less fast you can sing. So the more accurate the movements that you can get really small, the quicker you can sing. It's great. It's a really brilliant byproduct. So anyway, where can they find these exercises this in the book? Is, we're going to start with, um, the whole chapter starts on page 92, Ventriloquism and Mimicry. And in fact, um, what we're going to do is to play a little excerpt from Darcy Lynn's uh, video. She's sitting in the car, she's singing Creep by Radiohead, and she's trying it out because people don't believe that she can sing without mm. moving her lips. So mm. she sings it once with... Um, mouth movements and then she sings it again with no mouth movements and then she mixes and matches and then she the mixes end. and matches very impressive by the syllable which is really good and people on the facebook group were saying well what's she doing what's she doing and i'm thinking well she's doing actually exercises 31 32 33 34 35 36 i mean she's doing pretty much everything that's in the book and it's so well frankly it's so gratifying to see somebody at that mm. level with mm. that skill mm -hmm. doing exactly what I'm talking about in the book. So we're using it as an exemplar of how to put it into practice. And I'm going to challenge Jeremy to try one or two phrases. It's going to be really interesting. This is one of the, the few episodes that we say it's really good to watch it on YouTube because you will be able to see whether my lips move or not. Mm -hmm. um, we're just going to play a little bit of Darcy's singing when she's singing the, the opening lines of Creep without moving her lips, just so that we have something to, mm. to go with. And this is a car video, so you're going to hear background noise. Yes. It's not us. And obviously we'll drop the link to the video into the show notes mm. so you can see it yourself. When you were here before I couldn't look you in the eyes You're just like an Skin makes me cry. That'll do nicely. So, Jeremy, the first thing I want to ask you is which mouth position is Darcy using? Okay, this is exercise 31, and mm. it's almost the most important thing to start with as a ventriloquist is you're not allowed to move your lips you can't be seen to move your mm. lips but you can put your mouth into three separate shapes and basically the first one is very neutral not open very much but very relaxed and the second one is the same thing but smiling lips and the third one is called the shock view which is when you are horrified by what your puppet has just said and so the mouth is the jaws more open the mouth's a bit more open um, and the thing that I do say in the exercise is if you're going to do the shock view which is then you can't do it face on to the audience because mm. the audience, because your jaw is more open, the audience mm. will see your tongue movements. Mm. So the shock look, watch this in the ventriloquists that you watch on television, mm. the shock look tends to be done to the side, to, to your puppet, so that the, the audience never sees a face on shock movement. Mm. So... So she's doing relaxed. She's doing relaxed, yes. It's a sort of, for me, it's like if I'm um, looking at myself doing it, 
it's almost the gormless look, but yeah. it's a very, it's quite a narrow gormless mm. look. It's just the sort of. Uh, it's very, my th- very thinking loose. face with my mouth open. Thinking it's face how I would describe open. it. I like it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the lyrics are: When you were here before, couldn't look you in the eye. You're just like an angel. Your skin makes me cry. Mm. And. Just listening to her, there are a couple of places where she makes a face, and I can tell you exactly why she makes the face. Because she has B's and M's. Um, and I think that's in. That's Which it. are bilabial. They're, well, the M is, both of them are bilabial. Mm-hmm. So you use both lips and your lips are supposed to close, and that's how you create mm-hmm. the consonant. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, as a ventriloquist, you can't close your lips, mm. so you have to replace it with a completely different consonant. And in fact, with uh, before, there is a bilabial, which is the B, stopped voiced consonant. And then there's an F, which is an unvoiced labiodental. So you've got bottom lip, top teeth. And again, you can't do that because in order to do it, you would have to move your lip up to your teeth or your teeth down to your lip. Mm -hmm. And we, we, the audience, would see it. Mm. So you have to replace the Bs, the Fs and the Ms with different consonants. Yeah, essentially you have to fake it. So we're going to tell you what it is that you do. Um, okay. Are you up for having a go? And then I'll ask you what you did. Sure. And I think that might be quite interesting for the listeners. Uh, let me remember, let, viewing this is going to be the best experience. Let me sing it without uh, without doing the ventriloquism lip thing. Uh, and then with, when you were here before, couldn't look you in the eye. You're just like an angel. Your skin makes me cry. Okay, so that was without. I'm not moving that much, but Mm -hmm, you can see mm -hmm, the movements. mm -hmm. Right. When you were here before, couldn't look you in the eye. You're just like an angel. Your skin makes me cry. I was trying, actually, actually, weirdly, I was trying to move my head just to demonstrate that I hadn't actually frozen the video. <laughs> I was very impressed. So we're almost up to date. This is now November 21st, uh, 2022. And this was Change Your Pitch, Change Your Meaning. And this is another exercise from This Is A Voice. I so wanted this one because there's a little section in it where the way Jeremy changes his pitch, it sounds like a Dalek. Yay. That was good fun to do. This came from a very cool piece of research, which we can mention. We can. This comes from UCL, Mm. um, and it was part of their phonetics course, and we had permission to use it, and we had permission to actually show the diagram uh, and use this particular exercise on the webinar. Mm. And that was quite a few years ago now. It's all nine years ago, Mm. I think, we've been using this. Lovely piece of work. And what you see, I mean, what we'll do is we'll make this particular little video in the Learning Lounge free, so I will put the free preview link in so you can just click on the link if you're watching in youtube or if you're listening on buzzsprout or if you're listening on any of the the podcast 
platforms, there'll be a link for you to go and actually see what we're talking about. Yeah. And I think what's nice about this is that, you know, we've been talking about how it's hard for people to process melody in speaking voice, particularly if they don't come from a music background. Mm. They don't have that awareness because you've got visuals here. Mm. It's super helpful. Now, you don't have to read music to be able to see this, but I'm going to describe what we're seeing on the screen. Uh, There is a top line and there's a middle line. And you have, and then you, the words are written underneath, and you have little dots. Some of them have tails, some of them don't. Yeah, like little tadpoles. And what you're looking at is where that dot is positioned between the two lines. Mm. So if it's closer to the top line, it's going to be a higher pitch, and mm. if it's closer to the bottom line, it's going to be a lower pitch. Mm-hmm. And the tails tell you whether the if there's no tail there, then the the word just stays on that pitch. Mm-hmm. But if there's a tail going downwards, then the pitch slides down during the word and likewise going up. And just for people who aren't used to the word pitch, note yeah. where the note is. If I spoke to you all on the same pitch, it's going to sound like that. If I start to move the pitch up and down a bit, if I, well, that's going up and then that's going down. So now I can do that contour. And it's almost like I'm around a middle line, but I'm going higher and then I'm going lower and then mm. I'm going back to the middle line. Mm. Mm. So um, what is so lovely about this is it's the sentence is no, no, you fool, no, you silly fool. That's the sentence. And they're taking each of those syllables and put them on a dot on this chart. So the first one is called the high fall. You start high and you come down and it goes like this. No, no, you fool. No, you silly fool. Now, I am following exactly the contour that's that's pictured, but it has a particular emotion or it has a particular story that you hear. Mm, mm. So you assign meaning to it. Yeah. Do you want to try it? No, no, you fool. No, you silly fool. Absolutely. And Gillian is doing exactly the same pitch contour that I'm doing. Because she has a different voice and a different personality, it mm. has a slightly different meaning. And that says to me danger. Yes. Yeah. For God's sake, don't do it. So that's called the high fall. Okay. Now we do the low fall. Most of the words are in exactly the same place. They're close to the bottom line. But the ones that we started high and fell... They are now not close to the top line. They're right in the middle. So the fall will, the general pitch will be lower for them and the fall will be smaller. So it goes like this. No, no, you fool. No, you silly fool. Well, now the musician in me just wants to copy his pitch. (laughs) No, no, you fool. No, you silly fool. Great. What's so good about this is that because it's not written as music it's not written as rhythm so Gillian and I can do different rhythms on this but we have the same shape can I do the next one first yes. otherwise I'm just going to copy your pitch again yes now the next one we have this is called the low rise so the first note of each phrase no no and no starts very close to the bottom line uh, there's a little tail up, so there's a bit of a slide, but then they climb slightly. Yes, okay. No. No, you fool. No, you silly fool. Very good. So each phrase climbs. No, no, you fool. No, you silly fool. 
Again, exactly the same wording. I'm doing pretty much the same rhythm, but it has a completely different meaning. Jeremy, can you do that again? Because I'm not hearing the L in fool. Oh, right. No, no, you fool. No, you silly fool. Actually, really interesting because an L is a pitched consonant, so you can pitch on it. Mm. It's a voiced consonant. And then my my the last one is my favourite. This is called the high rise. So all it sounds like a pair of trousers. Yeah, I wear them. <laughs> <laughs> I hate low rise trousers. Um, I t- just call me Simon Cowell. Uh, okay, so all of the notes now are further up between the, the, the two lines. So the, the final note of each phrase is almost touching the top line. But the, all the, the words in general are higher up. Okay, Gillian, you do it first. No, no, you fool. No, you silly fool. Very good. The reason I love this is because... Body conducting. Is, I love this because this, as far as I'm concerned, is a science fiction programme that you may have seen on television. Mm-hmm. No, no, you fool. No, you silly fool. That to me sounds just like a Dalek. He I was love channeling that. his inner Dalek. Absolutely love that. So it's very interesting to... I mean, this is... This is exactly the same sentence mm. said with high fall, low fall, low rise and high rise. Mm. I'm just going to do them all in a row so that you can hear the difference in meaning. I'm going to do the same rhythm. I'm going to attempt to do the same volume, although that's tricky. Mm. I'm going to talk about volume in a minute. Mm. And I'm going to do the same speed. But I want you to notice how different the meanings are. Okay. Go on then. No, no, you fool. No, you silly fool. 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 (laughs) So fascinating. It's like playing four entirely different characters. That's a wrap. Yeah, I hope you've enjoyed all of the things that we've given you, all those lovely little treats wrapped up. We're now ready for Christmas. That was, by the way, the last episode in Season 6. We will see you in January with Season 7. Have a great holiday season, everybody, and thank you for listening. See you next time. Bye. Bye. This is A Voice, a podcast with Dr Gillian Kays and Jeremy Fisher.